Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Our special guest tonight, Graham Phillips, has been described as a historical detective, a modern-day adventurer, real-life Indiana Jones. He's been one of Britain's best-selling nonfiction authors for more than 20 years. In 1981, after working as a radio journalist and broadcaster for the BBC and editing a very popular monthly magazine, he turned his talents to investigating unsolved historical mysteries. And he has written at least 13-plus books in print now around the world and have been published in 10 different languages. Some of them include Atlantis and the Ten Plagues of Egypt, The Lost Tomb of King Arthur, and his latest here, Wisdom Keepers of Stonehenge. Graham, welcome. You were on our show almost three years ago with my colleague Dave Schrader. Welcome back. Well, thank you very much for having me on, George. How are are things in the United Kingdom these days? Well, we've got this Brexit nonsense that's just about tied up everything, <laughs> but it is sunny and warm, well, that's which is unusual good. for here. That is, that's good. And a great, great job on Wisdom Keepers of Stonehenge. I want to talk with you about a lot of your works, but let's get into this. Exactly, geographically, kind of paint us the picture of Stonehenge for a lot of people who haven't been there. Where is it and what's it look like? Okay, Stonehenge is in central southern England, um, it lies on a area called Salisbury Plain, a fairly uh, desolate area, if you like. Very few houses around that area. It's um, a ring of stones about 15 feet high, some weighing 20 or so tons, uh, joined together by a series of other stones placed along, along the top of them, which are called lintel stones, to form a series of arches running in a ring, which is around about 100 feet in diameter, with other stones placed in positions inside the main stone circle. And it's probably Britain's most popular tourist destination outside London. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Now, if you're standing there, as an individual is standing there by the stones looking up, how big are they? Well, I'm six foot two, and they're about the tallest ones are about three times taller than I am. Wow. Now, do, do they are they dug down underground as well, or do they just rest on the surface of, of the planet here? No, if they just rested on the surface, they'd have fallen over years ago. Okay. They go down about one-third as far as they stand above the ground in order to keep there. And basically any stone that I'll be talking about, and whatever I say its height is, you can add another third to what's below the ground. That's amazing. How do you think they moved them, and where did the stones come from? Well, Stonehenge itself was built in a number of phases. It began around about 5,000 years ago. Um, And the stones to build it, it wasn't the more complicated structure we know today, but a more simple arrangement of six-foot standing stones in a a ring. And there were uh, between 50 and 60 of those. They no longer stand in that position, but archaeologists have worked out where they were based on newfangled scientific techniques called ground-sensing radar, which basically tells you where there was a pit dug in the past and then filled in again. Uh, But parts of these stones still remain within the pits that have broken off, and later they were moved inside the inner circle of Stonehenge. They were brought 
all the way from South Wales, about 150 miles to the west My of West Stonehenge. Um, they know this because it's the only place in the country where the stone was quarried. It's called Bluestone. They've actually found the very quarries where it was made. And archaeologists now realize that it originally formed a circle built perhaps about 3100 B.C., in South Wales, in this mountainous area. And then when the people from that area decided to migrate to the more, um, to the, the, the area where you could grow crops better in central southern England, they decided to move the stone circle with them. Huh. And they did that on barges around um, the sea and up along rivers until they got close to Stonehenge. And from then, they rolled them across the countryside by having about two or three people haul them along on rollers. And Graham, let me ask you this from the outset. Do you think they had any extraterrestrial help at all? Well, some people believe that getting the stones to stick on top of the other ones to form these arches would have required some kind of telekinesis or ancient form of technology. But all I can say is this. There is nothing being found by architects archaeologists in and around Stonehenge or any other stone circle that suggests that this was made by anything other than prehistoric instruments, prehistoric tools, which makes it even more astonishing, to be quite honest. Absolutely. I mean, it looks kind of crude. I mean, it's not as sharply cut like the stones are for the Giza pyramids, Uh, but it's still a monumental effort. Well, by the time the Giza pyramids were being built, they had bronze tools. In other words, they could have, they had metal tools by that point. So these are older? Uh, Stonehenge is older. Ah. It's in the the period known as the Paleolithic, which means New Stone Age. Uh, Sorry, the Neolithic, which means New Stone Age. What would that be Um, years-wise? 5,000 years ago. 5,000. The the Pyramids of of Egypt were built uh, 4,500 years ago. And the Bronze Age didn't come to Britain until long after Egypt, until about 1200 BC, which is just over 3,000 years ago. So they were using, and we know this because of those being found, the remains of their tools scattered around areas like Stonehenge, uh, animal antlers for picks. They were using the shoulder blades of animals like oxen for shovels. And they were using flint or stone axes. And with those... They hacked the stone from the bedrock and shaped it and moved it to where it is. And uh, ever, ever lightly that it's not as perfect as the stones of Egypt, but incredible that they managed to do it at all. Exactly. And in, and in terms of how many people were working on this, are there any estimates Yes, there are. The, the main part of Stonehenge we now know, which is a really difficult bit, was made from more locally quarried stones called sarsen stones. Um, and they're about tw- they were quarried about 20 miles away. That Stonehenge we know today was built around 2600 BC, just before the Great Pyramids. And it is estimated that the entire population of central southern England at the time was around about... 30 to 50,000 people, very few. And it would have taken at least half of this amount working pretty much full-time in one capacity or another for years on end to have built this thing. So whatever purpose it served, it seems to have been essential 
to the prehistoric people of Britain. Now, you just brought up something fascinating. Whatever purpose it was for, do we really know why they built it the way they did and the way they shaped it in the circle formation? Well, the thing is about Stonehenge, which you must realize, is although it's the most famous stone circle in Britain, it's far from the only one. There are estimated to have been over 5,000 of them throughout the country. Wow. Like Stonehenge? Uh, not quite, not exactly like Stonehenge. Um, there's, there's over a thousand of them still survive in various states of preservation. Uh, many of them are quite small. Stonehenge is the only one with the arches across the top. But other round sta- uh, circles of standing stones it survive throughout the country. Some of them very, very much bigger than Stonehenge. About 20 miles north of Stonehenge, there's a massive stone circle called Avebury, made up of a uh, hundred uh, massive stones weighing up to 50 tons. And when I said that Stonehenge, as we now know it, is about 100 feet in diameter, Avebury is about 1,000 feet in diameter. I mean, it's huge. Now, as as you mentioned then, these had to have been made for some very practical purpose rather than simply religious, because Britain was subject to periodic migrations of people from continental Europe, and they all had different types of religions, yet they all joined in, from the archaeological evidence, they all joined in with the building of these stone circles. So these people had different religions, different customs, so for them all to be working on them suggests that whatever purpose Stonehenge and other stone circles served must have been some practical rather than religious function. Yeah, you might be right about that, too. It's and Now, we, we call energy lines on this planet, as you know, Graham, ley lines. Are these structures built on these ley lines? And if so, how come? Well, the ley line idea first started in the British Isles. Um, not only do we have all these stone circles all over the place, there are, if you go through the countryside and, and, and beside the road in hedgerows in the middle of fields and moorlands, you'll very often find single solitary monoliths, single standing stones, anything from six feet to 20 feet high, just stuck there in the ground. And... Uh, It was worked out in, I think it was the 1920s, by a man called Alfred Watkins from from Britain, that a lot of these stones tended to fall in straight lines across the countryside, linking stone circles together. His theory was that they were probably some sort of trackways uh, or or, um, delineated trackways. But in the 1960s, another... Uh, English guy, a man called John Michel, came up with the theory that they were possibly um, delineating lines of some kind of earth energy, channeling them towards stone circles so that they could allow some form of mystical energy to be at stone circles to help with all sorts of things, coming with the gods to help with curing people to whatever those energies were thought to be used for. And Alfred Watkins and John Michel referred to these lines as ley lines because of the prominence of which the word L-E-Y, ley, is found in the names of where these stone circles and standing stones are found. So um, archaeologists and historians will tell you there are no such things as lines of energy, but Mm. it is clear that for some reason the people of ancient Britain did 
align these standing stones in pretty much straight lines between certain stone circles, like Stonehenge and Avebury. Do you think, Ram, that uh, this might have been used as a sacrificial spot? Well, this, it's a bit of a myth that it was used for sacrifices. There's a stone at Stonehenge in the middle of it called the Slaughter Stone because of the story that this is where sacrificial victims were slaughtered. It is, has long been also referred to as the Altar Stone. We now know, archaeologists have now shown, that this stone was once an upright standing stone. In other words, in the middle of the stone circle, there was a, a single standing monolith that at some point over the centuries, because of erosion and weathering, had fallen over. So it was never meant as a, as an, a slab for sacrifices to take place. And in all the other stone circles throughout the country, there have not been found slabs in the centre that looked like they were where sacrifices would have taken place, nor has there been any evidence um, of uh, telltale signs of blood and decomposed animal matter in the soil in the centre of the mm. circles to suggest that these circles ever were used for sacrifices. When the Romans turned up 2,000 years ago, they basically wanted to uh, give the Britons a lot of negative propaganda and started writing about how the people of Britain were savages and used to kill babies and all sorts of things. But there is no historical evidence for this at all. That's amazing. Uh, is, is it conceivable that this thing is some kind of astronomical clock? Now, this is the theory that archaeologists are agreed upon. When viewed from the center of stone circles, such as Stonehenge, there are prominent stones placed in positions, uh, for, to start with, where the sun rises or sets on important days of the year, such as the midwinter or midwinter solstices. Um, at Stonehenge, for example, just a few days ago, uh, thousands of people gathered at Stonehenge to watch the midsummer sunrise over a stone outside the main circle called the Heel Stone, and it rises right above it on Midsummer's Day. But it's not just the sun that these stone circles have stones aligned to. It's the various positions of the moon and the rising and setting of certain very uh, bright stars, stars at particular times of the year. And the general theory is that this was a giant astronomical calculator, a kind of big clock, if you like, a, a one-year-long clock, to tell the people exactly the time of the day or the night that they wear in the year to help with the growing, harvesting, reaping of crops. But the thing is, and this is my theory, okay, I agree with that, but you could do that without the need for these impressive stone circles. Exactly, and all that work that went with it. You, you wouldn't need to do that. Yeah, so you, the only reason to build something that's that precise is if you wanted to calculate some very specifically uh, exact timings indeed. So that's what I decided to try and investigate, what Stonehenge was built for, why it was needed to be so accurate. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.